Thank you, Kyle, and the music team. Just tremendous lyrics. You know, I go into second service uh, telling myself I'm going to spare my voice and sing less, and it's impossible. (laughs) It's very difficult. But thank you, Kyle. And thank you all for your singing. It's an encouragement. But as you uh, probably took note by now, our pastor is away this weekend uh, today ministering with his wife, Pam, uh, at one of our Expositor Seminary sister churches in Atlanta area. So you could pray for them as they travel back this week. But for that very reason, we will not be returning to the Gospel of John this morning. Instead, I invite you to make your way over to the book of James. The book of James, our text this morning will be specifically chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. Our title, if you noticed in the bulletin, I have borrowed actually from most helpful and familiar book, maybe you've read it before, by A.W. Pink called Profiting from the Word. So James 1, 19 through 25 Profiting from the Word. It was some time ago, I think it was back in seminary, when I read an account, a fascinating account, about one of the most valuable and complete manuscripts of the Greek Bible. The name of that manuscript is Codex Vaticanus. And as the name suggests, it's this Codex It was named after the Vatican Library in Rome, which one author uh, notes, which has been really its home to this day, I believe, since some unknown date prior to as early as 1475 is when it was first recorded there, was mentioned in the first catalog made of the treasures of that library, and really nobody knows how it got there, though. But what's, what's fascinating to me about this particular manuscript is that for the longest time until actually relatively recent history, this nearly complete manuscript of the Greek Bible was shrouded, you could could say, in mystery, because it was zealously kept under wraps by Roman authorities there in the Vatican. In fact, one scholar records that for some reason, which has never been fully explained during the large part of the 19th century, the authorities of the library put continual obstacles in the way of scholars who wished to study it in detail. It was not until 1889-90, roughly, that a complete photographic facsimile of the whole manuscript made its contents available. And nobody knows why. In fact, in 1845, a man by the name of Samuel Tregellis wrote an account of one of his personal attempts to study the Codex. He reported this, quote, It was under such restrictions that it was impossible to do more than examine particular readings. They, that is the Roman authorities, would not let me open it without searching my pockets and depriving me of pen, ink, and paper, and at the same time, Two prelati kept me in constant conversation in Latin. And if I looked at a passage too long, they would snatch the book out of my hand. Some years later in 1861, another scholar comments this, quote, Codex Vaticanus 1209 is probably the oldest large vellum manuscript in existence and is the glory of the great Vatican Library in Rome. But he notes this, and listen to this. Its official guardians, though, he says, have shown a strange incapacity, is what he calls it, for making themselves the proper use of a treasure they scarcely permit others more than to gaze upon. You see, to this day, nobody knows why it took the Vatican 400 years, over 400 years really, to finally make proper use, so to speak, of this valuable text of Scripture in their possession. But beloved, this morning, I would suggest to you that even those of us who own multiple copies of God's Word who come here week after week after week to hear the preaching 
of God's word, we too, though maybe in a different way, can also at times demonstrate a strange incapacity for making the proper use of the treasure which we possess in God's word. You see, what our passage teaches us today is that just because we have possession of God's word doesn't automatically mean that we will thereby profit from God's word. As A.W. Pink writes in his book, there is grave reason to believe that much Bible reading and Bible study, and I'll add to that listening of Bible exposition, has been, maybe this is shocking to some of you for him to say this, that much of that has been of no spiritual profit to those who engaged in it. How can that be? How can that be? So the question we seek to answer this morning is the same one that Pink asks at the beginning of his book, and that is this, of what then does a true profiting from the word consist? And I believe James gives us a great and direct answer to that question here in our passage. James 1, verses 19 through 25, follow along with me. As I read it in its entirety, actually, let's grab the previous verse, verse 18, just to give us a running start and some context. Notice James 1, beginning in verse 18. In the exercise of his will, that is God, the Father of lights, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. And this you know, my beloved brethren, but still then everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive that word implanted, which is able to save your souls." But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having Become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. You see, having just reminded us in verse 18, as we read, that that it was God, indeed it was God who gave us new life. He regenerated us from above, and he did so through the instrument of his word, James calls here the word of truth, James now turns his attention, listen, to the subject of the believer's ongoing relationship to that word. As one author writes, having been brought to life by means of the word, a genuine faith will rightly relate to that word. My friend, how is your relationship to the Word of God this morning? This is what our text will examine for us. Are you profiting from it? Are you making proper use of it? Are you rightly related to the Word of God? To help you answer these Searching questions in this passage, we're going to see that James gives us really three characteristics of a right relationship to God's Word. Three characteristics that we can examine of ourselves to know if we will continue to profit from the Scriptures. Three characteristics of a right relationship to God's word. Notice first 
And we'll simply call it a teachable disposition towards God's word. A teachable disposition. Look at verses 19 and 20. That's where we'll get this point from. Verses 19 and 20. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Stop there for a moment here. James appropriately really begins with what we might call our attitude towards the Scriptures. Christian, what is your attitude? What is your outlook? You could say, what is your opinion? What is your perspective? What do you believe about God's Word? And James begins here appropriately because he knows that what we believe about Scripture will eventually determine what we do with Scripture. And that is exactly what we see in this passage. But notice here that James, James is not just referring to an intellectual grasp of or mere doctrinal understanding of what Scripture says. Did you notice? He, he, he says, he says, look at verse 19, this, this you, you already know, my beloved brother. In other words, think about what James is saying here, who he's talking to. He acknowledges right up front that his readers are genuine believers. He calls them beloved brethren. And he acknowledges that these genuine believers have already an understanding that God's word has regenerated their hearts. Verse 18. He says, you know that. You're very familiar with with that truth. And yet he goes on to write, but nevertheless, everyone still must continue to be. It's the present tense command there. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. See, this is so directly helpful for us. Twin City Bible Church. How many copies of the Word of God do you own? As those who perhaps even at times have taken pride in our understanding of Scripture, in our view of Scripture, in the doctrine of Scripture that we would hold to in our minds, let us take cues from James here and take heed to these commands all the more. Because as as the saying goes, familiarity can and oftentimes does breed what? Contempt. Listen, Christian, we we cannot, you cannot, you and I cannot become content, complacent with our mere intellectual grasp of God's regenerating word. Let, Let us still, however long, Christian, you have lived in Christ, let us still be quick to hear it slow to speak, slow to anger. These three shotgun commands here really taken together are a united call for us to have a teachable disposition towards the Word of God. Let's just look at them briefly, each of them. The idea of being quick to hear is describing really an eager attentiveness to the Word of God. This is, this is what characterized Mary and not Martha in Luke 10. Being quick to hear implies a really preparedness and a willingness on the part of the listener to hear what is being said because Thomas Manton suggests delay is a sign of unwillingness. I know this in my parenting. There's a saying we use in our house, you know, delayed obedience is no obedience. (laughs) It's the same with hearing the Word of God. And so being quick to hear is 
indicative of a willingness, a readiness to listen, teachability. This attitude finds its Old Testament counterpart in the common phrase used often in the Psalms and Proverbs of uh, inclining the ear, right? That's a great picture that describes the posture of someone who's fully engaged, right? You know people who listen like this, right? (laughs) You want to be someone who listens like this. When you're spilling your guts, you want someone who has this posture on the other end of the table, listening just like this at the edge of their seat, drinking in every word, taking in every syllable, fully engaged, eyes directly at you, hanging on every inflection. That's this posture. Being quick to hear is listening. Really, you could boil it down to this, as if your life depended on it. Because Christian, it does. In fact, later on in chapter, uh, in verse 21, notice James describes the word of God there as that which is able to save your souls. Do you listen to the word of God like that? Beloved, do you listen to preaching like that? Do you run to hear the word? And being teachable in our disposition towards God then and his word means that we are quick to hear. But not just that, it also means that we're slow to speak. It also means that we're slow to speak. You know, there are people who are thinking about what they're going to say before you even finish your sentence. You know people like that. And they are not teachable. James says here, if you're going to be teachable to the word of God, you must be slow to speak. And and, and if quickness was eagerness, then here, obviously, slowness is reluctance. It demonstrates a restraint of some kind. And James tells us that for us to truly profit from the word, listen, we must be those who are able to restrain ourselves, listen, from forming superficial surface opinions about the word of God. There's a lot of that that happens out there in the name of Christianity. In other words, James is really here saying, look, if we were given the choice between hearing God's voice on an issue and hearing ourselves talk, you know what? We should be quiet. Our mouths should be shut. Yes, we should listen quickly, but we should also listen long. Before we draw any rash conclusions, you see a teachable disposition is not quick to make what we have called snap judgments, right? Or in like uh, your sports anchor terminology, hot takes. We, We should not do that with the word of God. Teachable disposition agrees with what one Puritan writer said when he said this, The sudden conceptions of the mind are not always best, right? You know this. That thing that pops into your head, that reaction that you have in your soul, it's usually not what you should probably voice. So James warns us here, we can do that with the word of God. When it comes to God's word, we must be then slow to speak. Of course, you know Proverbs 10 verse 19, where there are many words. What does he say? Transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. It's the same principle. Solomon would teach this very same thing. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2, if you're taking notes, just listen. When he's, he, he writes there, do not, it's the same idea, Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. Why? For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Know your place and therefore let your words be few. So Christian, to truly 
really profit from the word of God, let us not be like the butterfly flitting here and there to and fro from flower to flower, landing only on the surface of Scripture. Rather, let us be like the honeybee, drinking deeply of the sweet nectar of God's truth, storing it away for future use. You know, as another Puritan once aptly put it, jewels, jewels don't lie upon the surface. You must get into the caverns and dark receptacles of the earth for them. Do you read the word of God that way? Profiting from the word takes time. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes self-control. So be quick to hear, slow to speak. But finally, notice a teachable disposition also means that we're slow to anger. We're slow to anger. You know, there are really... There are two main words for anger in the New Testament. This, this one is not the passionate outburst of anger, but rather this is the slow, seething boil of resentment over time that will eventually, if we're not careful, settle into bitterness and disdain. You see, James knows, hopefully you're not, as a Christian, you know too, right, that you're not supposed to just blow up every time the word cuts across your flesh, but if you're not careful, Christian, if you're not careful, you, you, there will be commands that you will grow to have a disdain for because they're always confronting your pet sins. Jesus warns us, James warns us against developing this posture of disdain for the truth He warns us against harboring resentment in our soul against the word of God in a particular area maybe because it it so consistently wounds the idols that we hold dear in our hearts. Have you done this before? You see, listening, being teachable to God's word will eventually... If you do it in the way that James is describing here, it will bring about conviction. (laughs) Oh, that wretched thing, right? (laughs) But listen to Thomas Manton's advice here. He says, do not rise up in arms against a just reproof. Oh, man, that's so natural to us. He says, but be slow to it. Don't yield to your nature. My friends, Christians, fellow believers who've been regenerated by the word of God, learn to love the reproof that scripture brings. A teachable disposition will be slow to anger. And notice that very quickly this third one comes with an explicit reason, even in verse 20, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. In other words, James is really just reminding us here that Listen, your zeal for the truth, and some of you are very zealous for the truth, and that is great, but James is warning you that, listen, your zeal for the truth will not profit you at all if it is against the truth when it convicts you. So take care. Be slow to anger. Be slow to anger. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We must be teachable in our disposition to God's word if we are to continue to profit from it. But notice next that this teachable disposition towards the word should really then lead us into the second characteristic of a right relationship to God's word. And that comes to us in verse 21. And we'll just call that a hospitable reception of God's word. A hospitable reception of God's word. Verse 21. Notice, James goes on, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, here it is, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now, you listen to it in the English, and you may have noticed the main verb in this section, in this verse, is buried behind a number of 
other words, it's buried in the middle of the sentence, but it is the command to receive, to receive, to accept the word implanted. Now, again, there uh, in the Greek language, there are two words for a lot of things, but there are two words used in the New Testament to speak of receiving something. And both of those words are found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. If you're taking notes, you can write it down, but don't turn there. Because I want you to just listen to see if you can hear the difference between these two words that the Bible uses for, at least the New Testament uses for receiving. Paul writes, you remember to the Thessalonians there, he says, when you, here's the first one, when you received the word of God which you heard from us, there's, there's, that first word speaking of the passing on of information. But here's the second. When you received that, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. And that is the word that James uses here because it has a nuance of welcoming. It's embracing. It's accepting you know, this is the, the language of rolling out the red carpet. We use sometimes that. This is joyful reception of the warm embrace of a dear friend into your home. That's great language. It's, it's why I chose the adjective hospitable here. Are you that way with the Word of God? Are you, are you, uh, are you hospitable? Or is it, is, it, is it more like an unwelcome stranger at times that barges into your home? What are you doing here? <laughs> How do you respond? What is your relationship to Scripture? Do you greet truth with open arms and a warm heart? Do you invite it into your home? Do you long to make it comfortable See, as 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, this is something that the natural man, listen, cannot do that. I can, I can give this Bible to an unbeliever. He can take it from me. He can certainly receive it. I can read a passage to a non-Christian. He can't accept. He can't, he won't welcome the word like this. But, but notice again, just remember who James is talking to. Isn't it interesting here? James is speaking to Christians. He's talking to, to Christians. Christians who've already been brought forth by the word of truth, verse 18. And this is, this is, this is implied again by the way he describes the, the word that we're, we, we are to receive here. He calls it, did you notice, that which is already implanted in us. It's, it pictures the, the seed that has already been sown on the heart, on the soil of the believer's heart. And yet, beloved, his point here is that even though it has already been implanted, there is a sense in which, Christian, you must still receive it. You must still welcome it. That doesn't happen automatically. You must, still, you must still embrace it as difficult as it is. You must still cultivate it. You must still keep it. You must still make it at home so that it might flourish and take root and bear much fruit to the glory of God in your heart and life. So though the word be already implanted in us at our conversion, James says here very clearly that there's still a need for us to warmly embrace the truth in our hearts. And you know this, especially on certain things maybe that, that are just hard truths to, to receive. But this is what our attitude should be towards the Word of God. This is how we should receive the Word of God. You know, I think of the language here that Paul uses in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. You remember where he writes, let the word of Christ, you remember the word he uses there? Richly, comfortably, permanently dwell. Dwell within you. 
But we, we are to then, we, we are to make our hearts a home for the word of God. You know, it's always good to go home, isn't it? After a long trip, especially, it's always good to step into your door. Ah. Friend, is the, is the word of God at home in your heart? Can, can, can it take its shoes off and be welcomed? Can it, can it open any door that it pleases? Does it rest comfortably in every room? But notice how James also embeds in this one verse two really specific ways we could say that to help us welcome the Word of God into our hearts first. Notice, we can welcome the Word by cleaning up a little bit. By, notice, he says, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. You know, my wife knows that if there's clutter around the house, it is very difficult <laughs> for me to just relax. The same is true about God's Word. In other words, listen, for the Word of God to dwell comfortably in your heart, you must constantly be cleaning, be cleansing yourself of remaining sin. That's that's really James' His point here, I remember moving into our first apartment as a newly married couple in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Right across from the mall, 900 square feet, one bathroom, one bedroom. It was a great area. It was a great complex, great amenities. But, you know, the previous renters, not so great. They'd left our unit kind of dirty, filthy. So really, what what did we have to do? Before we could move anything in, before we could live there comfortably, we had to do a deep clean of the place. The same is true, listen, of your heart and the Word of God. Now, of course, as we've already noted, and as we've already said, this is not the cleansing of salvation. You have already been sprinkled clean by the blood of Christ at your conversion. So we're not, James is not talking about the cleansing of salvation here, but The point is for the Word to dwell comfortably and for us to continue to be fruitful and profit from it, to be blessed by it, to experience the joy of it. James says that we must be about the business of laying aside all that would hinder us from hearing truth. It's the idea, right? So, some have helpfully pointed out this word for filthiness here is actually a medical term used back then to refer to the, the building up of earwax. And first of all, that is gross. Uh, secondly, though, it's a great picture, isn't it? Our spiritual ears need to be... I'll let you fill in the imagery. <laughs> The weeds need to be pulled in order that the good seed can really grow. The house needs to be cleaned in order for the word to dwell richly and comfortably. You know, First Peter 2 uses a different metaphor but teaches the same principle. Peter would write there, therefore, to putting aside, same word, all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. It's the same idea. Look, junk food will ruin your appetite and keep you from receiving the word as you should. Notice James says, all that remains of wickedness here. But did you realize that just one sin one little speck can ruin your appetite. The smallest sin can lead to your unfruitfulness. The smallest sin can rob your joy and productivity and profitability in the Word of God. May we be like the psalmist of Psalm 119 who declared, I hate every false way. If you want to make the Word welcome, 
do not welcome any kind of impurity into your life. Second, notice you want to make the word welcome, do it in humility. Do it in humility. In other words, we don't just invite the word of God into our home. We make it the head of our home. There's a difference. The word here for humility means to be low, to come under, to lay down. It's a word that signifies really submission. That's the picture here. Maybe to use another analogy, we are to lay down, Peter says, before the the surgeon's scalpel of God's truth. You, my friends, brothers and sisters, are on the operating table of God's truth. And he is doing surgery. Don't move. Stay still. Be humble. Submit your life to it, or you may walk away with unnecessary scars. So Jay Adams asks us then, Christian, do you listen to preaching with a heart wide open to truth, a heart unprotected? I love that picture from the thrusts of the Spirit's sword. So in summary, we, we are to be hospitable in our reception of God's word. And we do that specifically by really pursuing sanctification and submission. That's really what James is saying here. Beloved, are you rightly related to the word? Do you have a teachable disposition towards it? Do you welcome it as the master of your home? Well, these, of course, lead finally to uh, verses 22 through 25, where James gives us perhaps a familiar picture to you. And in it, we find... The third characteristic of a right relationship to the word, and we'll just call this one a faithful application of God's word, a faithful application of God's word. Notice verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers, who delude themselves. Just stop right, right, there, right there for a moment. The, the main commandment, the main command here is, unlike verse 21, it's not really buried. It's pretty obvious. It's very much out front. Prove yourselves doers of the word. Literally, James says, become doers. Become doers of the word. You know what that tells me? It tells me that This doesn't just happen automatically. This doesn't just happen because you're within earshot of my voice this morning. This doesn't just happen because you're exposed to the truth, because you grew up in the church, because you simply, even even because you're convinced of the truth, it doesn't just automatically happen. To hear, James says, is one thing. To heed is another To possess and to even be persuaded is one thing. But to practice, that is another. Sadly, so many have become one without becoming the other. Friends, it is not enough to have a disposition. It is not enough to even have a reception. We must also have an application. And and perhaps this might come as a shock to you, but listen, any relationship, beloved, to God's word that does not ultimately lead to obedience is soul-damning, soul-deceiving hypocrisy, is what James says here. What is the... James is very clear. Those who are merely hearers, what does he say? They they, they delude themselves. They delude themselves. Uh, Listen to Thomas Watson. He writes, I believe this quote is in your bulletin in Thoughts to Ponder section. But he he says, if, if you would hear the word aright, then practice what you hear. 
Hearing only will be no plea at the end of judgment. Merely to say, Lord, I've heard many sermons. I I downloaded all the podcasts. I've listened to all of MacArthur's sermons. All of Carrie Hardy's sermons. I went on the website. I just binged on them. God will say, what fruits of obedience have you brought forth? The word preached is not only to inform you, but to reform you. If you hear the word and are not bettered by it, your hearing will increase your condemnation. It is sad. Listen to this. It is sad to go loaded to hell with ordinances. Oh, beg the Spirit to make the word preached effectual. Beg that of him even now, Christian. And notice James now gives us these two, this stark contrast, these two piercing illustrations to drive this point home. One of forgetful hearer and one of the effectual doer. Maybe you're familiar with the section. First notice, verses 23 through 24, he writes, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked away, or once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. James says there's a kind of person who looks at himself in the mirror of God's word and then walks away. And immediately forgets what he looked like. This is the one who hears only and doesn't apply. And this man, he says, is self-deceived about his true condition and appearance, which is what the term natural face refers to here. He sees an accurate reflection, and and he doesn't do anything about it. Notice he's self-deceived because he is... Have you ever thought about this? Because he's preoccupied with other things. Notice the text. He, he looks, but then what does he do? He goes away. He goes away implying that he thinks that he's some, some other more important business to take care of. And for that reason, notice, he, he immediately forgets that his hair is a mess his zipper is down. His shirt is untucked. He forgot to shave that morning. Ever done that? It's embarrassing. So before we crucify this man, but how often have we come on Sunday morning, walked away over lunch? Man, that was a great service. So encouraging. What a fruitful time. And by Monday morning, we forgot what God has wrought in our souls the day before. May this never be. But notice there's a second person, verse 25, who looks, James says, intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. You see, this man is the one who truly profits from the word. You know, and you, if you've read this section before, maybe in your mind you've said, hey, the difference, the real, the main difference here between these two people is that one does the word, the other doesn't. And you would be right about that. But James, that is the outcome of these two men. And notice James wants us to see how they get there. And the first difference we notice here between this effectual doer and the forgetful hearer is that this man, did you notice it? He doesn't just look. He doesn't just glance. He doesn't just catch a glimpse from around the corner. What does he do? He looks intently. He looks intently. He doesn't just glance. He gazes. This word captures his attention. 
It drives him to deep examination. It drives him to discovery. It's the language of the verb here. It actually describes someone who's literally bent over in careful study. And notice how the mirror of the word now for this one is described by James. Did you, did you catch it as the perfect law of liberty? I love that description. In other words, not only is it an accurate and authoritative depiction and what it shows this man, it is also liberating in that it frees him from his bondage. You see, to see ourselves as we really are in light of Scripture is true gospel freedom. Understand that to see our sin rightly. But as it is, men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. John 3.19. And sinners in bondage hate to be exposed. As John would write in agreement with James, he who practices the truth comes to the light. There's a second difference here, notice, between these two men. Here, unlike the first man who looks and then goes away and stays away, that's really the tense of this perfect verb here. This, this man, now, this one, abides by it, or literally remains by the mirror of the word. He, he doesn't just look, he lingers. Do you do that? Do you do that? You remember what Jesus said in John 8, verses 31 and 32 to those Jews who believed in him. If you, if you just catch a glimpse of my word, hey, you'll be good. No, that's not what he says. If you continue, if you abide, the same word, if you abide, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free because why? It's the perfect law of liberty. Set you free. You only profit from the word if you remain by its side and it by yours. So Alexander McLaren writes here the gaze must be not only concentrated but constant if anything is to come of it. He goes on to say, Many, many of you do not give the motives and principles of the gospel which you say you believe a chance of influencing you. Why? Because you so interruptedly and spasmatically and at such long intervals and for so few moments do you gaze upon them. Steadfast and continued attention is needed if we are to be doers of the word. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard as a pastor, you know what, I've read the word of God, it doesn't work. Ever heard that? My immediate next thought is, you know what, you're not reading it rightly. Have you read it like this? Are you an effectual doer of the word this morning? When was the last time you carefully pondered and mulled over one scriptural principle in your mind for an entire day. Let us keep the truth ever before us because James says here it is in our careful and constant attention to God's word that will lead us to faithful application of it. And notice lastly the result here, this man will be blessed. He'll be blessed in what he does. What does he do? He does the word. (laughs) This is a man who is truly profiting from the scriptures. Brothers and sisters, may may we not be like the Vatican who who showed a, a strange incapacity for the proper use of this treasure that we have. Let us take care how we listen. Let, let us have the right attitude. Let us have the right disposition towards God's word. Let let us welcome it as our dearest companion. Let us faithfully apply it 
to our hearts and lives. You know, I realize, friend, if you're here and you're just listening and you're saying, look, I, I don't know that I've ever had a right relationship to the Word of God like that. You know, James's invitation to you is the same. Come, come to the living word. Come to Christ. Hear him rightly, maybe for the first time. Turn to him, repent of your sins. Humble yourself. Forsake all your opinions about your sin, about this world, about what is wrong, about what is right, about God, about who you are about how to to be saved, forsake all your opinions and come humbly to the word of truth. Welcome Jesus with open arms. Embrace him, receive him, and follow him in a life of blessed obedience. You will not regret it. You won't regret it. I guarantee that. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for the fact that you have given us this word. Oh God, how we have been so blessed that you would seek us out while we were literally with fingers in our ears refusing to hear you In our sin, you, by the word of truth, you made us alive. You gave us new life. You revived us according to your word. May we now be a people of the word. May we continue to profit from it because we're teachable, because we're receptive, because we're faithful to apply it. Father, help us to do that. Lord, and we pray that you would use even this word this very morning to draw those who do not know you to yourself. May they turn. May they come. May they believe in Jesus. May they forsake their life of sin. May they come to the fountain of living waters. Give them an appetite for this most precious treasure, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.